mentioned working with uh, plants and nature and some others. It's, I've had a could have could have said this is a blessing as well. Had have, have just a good week of visits this week. Quite a, quite a few people that able to uh, um, spend some time with. We had a young man here on Sunday morning. Uh, he's from Iraq and uh, raised Muslim. He's accepted Christ as his savior. Uh, mom shot in front of him. Brothers shot in front of him. Dad kidnapped and later killed. Just an incredible testimony. And uh, I always say you just never know what people in church Sunday morning are going through. You know, never never know what your what your uh, listeners are, who who's there. So definitely keep keep doing what you're doing and being friendly and receptive to those that come. And uh, it's a it makes an impact. And so uh, all these all these folks that God's given us to work with. I mean, not everybody's normal like you. You know, so. Uh, I say that tongue-in-cheek, amen, like me. But um, it gives us gives us an opportunity to really make an impact in people, so we need to do that. Uh, we're in Philippians 3, starting at verse number 3. We did uh, verses 1 and 2 last week, uh, or last time we met. But this section of verses we talk about tonight contains Paul's testimony. Paul was a very religious man, but Paul was lost as a ball in high weeds when he was a religious man. He was not a Christian. There's a a vast difference between religion and Christianity. Uh, religion is not a relationship. Religion is rules. Uh, relationship with Christ is what we are, uh, what we should be all about. Now, Paul was very zealous in his attempt to stamp out Christianity before he got saved, and uh, now after he's saved, he's just as zealous to propagate the gospel. And uh, that's what Paul is all about: getting the gospel out to those who desperately need it. So. Uh, we're going to look at tonight uh, just a, a little bit of what salvation is, what it's not, and uh, we need to see uh, and have a passion to never give up on people, even if they're seeped in religion. Uh, religion is, is I, I've, I've said it many times, I believe it, I lived it, I think, in, in my early life, especially seeing it my parents, uh, it is much harder for a religious person to come to Christ than really for a wicked person drug addict to come to Christ uh, because religious people are deceived in many ways. And so we'll look at this tonight as we, as we read this. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 and uh, verse number 3, the Bible says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We can get an amen right there. Have no confidence in the flesh. That though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath wherewith he might trust in the flesh, I more. Why does he say that? Well, he goes through a list of his qualifications here. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Now that is an amazingly powerful verse. Now let's read it again. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. We're going to look at some of these all things Paul's talking about tonight as I want to preach for just a few minutes here on Paul's trade-off, Paul's 
trade-off. Father, we pray that you bless the reading of your word as we unpack these, this passage here. Uh, help us to apply it. Use it and uh, help us to constantly be a witness. Help us not to ever let religion be a deterrence. Uh, help us, Lord, to understand and uh, still love and promote the gospel in spite of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Salvation involves a radical change. Our direction changes, our destiny changes, our deeds change. Uh, no Bible character exhibits transformation more than the Apostle Paul. Uh, his, from what he was to what he became, I don't think you see any other person in the Bible with a more radical change than this man. Even his name changed. He was Saul of Tarsus, and then he became Paul the Apostle. Now, most people will follow a set of guidelines, rituals, commands, or rules to get into heaven. Those are uh, religious people. Now, we realize, most people realize that living forever uh, is not uh, totally up to us. And so we look for a religion. We look for something that we can, a philosophy or set of beliefs that we can put our faith in, that we can be comfortable with. And we hope that it turns out right. I don't know how many people I've talked to, and you probably have too. I hope, I, I hope I'll go to heaven. I mean, I do this, I do that. I, I, uh, I, I've got a list of things that I hope will get me to heaven. The problem is that everybody, and I'll consider this, everybody who's ever given any advice on how to live forever is dead, except for one. Okay, So Buddha, Muhammad, uh, Joseph Smith, I just went blank, but there's a lot of others, uh, they're all dead. You can visit their tombs. But there's one that did not die. Well, he died, but he was risen again. John 11, 25, 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth me in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now, doesn't it make sense for us to approach the person who conquered death to find out about eternal life? And that's why we come to Jesus Christ. I was talking to a young man this week uh, who said, uh, who 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 was adamant. He said, I, you, can, you, you don't have to believe, you know, I, I believe in Christ, I, so I think I'm going to heaven because I've accepted Christ. But you don't have to believe in Christ. You can believe in, in other things, and I think that everybody's going to get there. And so I had to uh, show him some scriptures how that's not true, but that's a common belief today. Uh, sincerity equals, uh, or, or, or that, that there's, some kind of, um, there, there's some kind of value in sincerity. If you're sincere, then that'll make up for even being wrong. Well, I can sincerely believe that I can fly, but if I jump off the top of a building, sincerity does me no good. I'm going to fall like a rock, okay? So uh, sincerity doesn't change fact. It's not, uh, we, we have to be careful, we have to be loving as we teach people this, but sincerity is not the key. And, and it's funny that only in religion is this a factor. Nobody uh, uh, in any area, other area of life applies sincerity. Well, you know what? I know you want to be a doctor. I know you failed medical school, but you're really sincere. And so we'll give you the credential. No. There's no other place in life that sincerity counts in place of the facts and the truth and all that. So religion, let's not get caught up here. So Paul starts out here, we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. Now what's he saying here? The Jews did with circumcision what always happens in religion. Just to give a little bit of backup here, uh, they lost sight of the meaning of what circumcision was, and the ritual deteriorated into an end in itself. Now, that's what religion always does. Sometimes it, they'll take something that 
uh, it, we'll talk about what circumcision was in just a bit here, but uh, it's a symbolic, it was, it's a symbol of a relationship, and then they make it into the end itself. Now, circumcision had become a point of pride. They were able to point to that difference in them and say, I'm not a Gentile dog, I am Jewish, and I have circumcision to prove my uh, superiority. But true circumcision is of the heart. Now, in the Old Testament, circumcision was administered to a boy when he was eight days old. Uh, not only boys, though, adult converts that uh, were converted to Judaism, they were circumcised sometimes as adults and, and, and to be brought into the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, circumcision was also endorsed by the Mosaic covenant. Now, we Christians come into a new covenant. What circumcision did symbolically for the Jews, uh, so the cross does for us. In the Old Testament type uh, circumcision, the knife was applied to the instrument of man's creative power. Basically, uh, the symbolic recognition of our total inability of our flesh to produce any spiritual fruit. That's what circumcision was and, and meant. Now, in the New Testament, circumcision was abolished. Under the New Covenant, uh, we are circumcised not by the cutting of the body, but by the death of, the, of Christ. Uh, the flesh is put to death. And so our new life in Christ can now produce spiritual fruit. At Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. And so because of our new life, we become a new creature. We, because of our new life in Christ, uh, our flesh is <coughs> essentially put to death. Now, we know the desires of the flesh remain with us, don't they? Because we have that old nature. But uh, the power of sin, remember the three areas in its salvation. We are freed from the penalty of sin. And as we grow in Christ and, and after salvation, we're also freed from the power of sin. <laughs> the Bible tells us in, in Romans chapter 6 uh, very clearly that we no longer have to be ruled by sin. It's not our master anymore. Now, only after we die or are raptured are we actually delivered from the presence of sin. And I look forward to that day, don't you? Uh, when we don't have to worry about temptation anymore. One of the greatest things that I <coughs> look forward to heaven is not having to fail my Savior anymore. Uh, not having to sin. Man, I, I tell you, there's uh, the streets of gold. I look forward to all that. Uh, but but being able to be sinless, I just uh, um, I look forward to that. Now, Paul understood this. So it bothered him that, uh, that many Jews, and many Jewish Christians for that matter, insisted that Gentile converts be circumcised. Uh, they, had to, they had to do something uh, to become full citizens of the kingdom of God. In other words, we, we accept Christ as our Savior, but we've got to do something to feel like we're part of it. Mankind forever has that desire to do something, feel like we are a part or we, we earn it in our way. But you know what? All that is is pride, by the way. You know what really hurts our pride? When we go to Romans chapter 3 and we find out that there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. There's none that doeth good. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, that's, that's, the, that's where we have to recognize ourselves for what we are. Now, religion allows us to be the benefactors of our own salvation. We are the ones that make our own salvation. And, of course, that we, we know that appeals to pride. Now, it seems that these Judaizers had come to Philippi here, and uh, so he reminds his friends here, we are, we are the circumcision. 
which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. These false teachers, by the way, we just came through Ephesians and Galatians, and he dealt with it there. These Judaizers were everywhere trying to uh, incorporate circumcision in. That's why Paul talked about it so much. He called them dogs in verse 2. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. The, this term Dogs was a, was a contempt that was usually reserved for the Gentiles, but yet the Holy Spirit uh, approved Paul using this. He exposes the folly, absolute foolishness of having confidence in our flesh. We should have no confidence in our flesh. Then he gives us a fascinating autobiography here. It tells us about himself and also tells us about ourselves at the same time. So we're going to rush through this and, uh, and try to grab what Paul's trying to say. I might also, he said, have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Now, Paul, is he's got the basis, by the way, to back this up. He's not just puffing out his chest and saying, I'm better than you. He's saying, if anybody had any reason to put any faith in their own flesh, it would be me. And there he's about to tell us why. Uh, he took them on on their own turf here. Uh, he took them on in, in the face of their religion that they mistook for righteousness. You cannot ever mistake your religion for righteousness. Uh, a lot of people, and it's sad, it really it, it breaks my heart thinking of some of my family, still unsaved family, who my cousin, I was very close to growing up, we were the same age. He was, he was about six months older than I, I didn't say cousin, my uncle my mom's youngest brother, and we were very close growing up uh, until I left the Amish. He's now a, 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 an Amish bishop, and uh, so we both turned out to be preachers, and he's, he is, uh, I wouldn't say call him a preacher. If you ever listen to, a, if you ever are forced to sit through an Amish church service, um, you'll be thankful for all the excitement and thrills you get right here because it's a really boring experience. But, uh, but that's what he does now, and he's in all... It breaks my heart that everything he's doing is to, his name's Jerry, and everything he does is to build up his own righteousness. And it's all for vain. It's all in vain. We're going to see that as Paul here. So there was a time when Paul was more religious than any of these knuckleheads he's dealing with. There was a time that Paul was a better Pharisee than any of them. Uh, so he, he had been where they were. He had thought the way they thought. Now, there was, uh, then, then he met Christ, of course, that we know that. So the problem is that it doesn't matter, and he's trying to tell us here clearly that it doesn't matter how good we are, we're all born with this sin nature. So adding a resume of good works to a sinful heart is like taking a bucket of mud and pouring a quart of water in it, hoping that you can drink it. Uh, the bucket of mud is still there. It's still filthy, and, and a little good is not going to help it any. And so we, we, when we get honest with ourselves, and we have to do that, we have to come to the conclusion that we are absolutely nothing in and of ourselves. That's what happened at salvation if you got saved. That's what happened. You had to come to the point and said, I got nothing. I, I, I don't have anything to offer. It's all Christ. Uh, Paul said in Romans seven eighteen, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing there redeemable. We can try to do better and to reform, but we'll always go back to our ways of sin. So our natural thought, though, is just natural for man to think that he can add something in the mix that make up for the sin problem. We think that we can add enough works, we can get 
or cancel out the bad. I remember hearing that taught when I was a child. Well, I, I remember a, 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 a preacher was saying one time how, you know, we get to heaven and there's going to be two piles in front of God and, and there's going to be a pile of our good works and then a pile of our sin and whichever pile is bigger determines whether we go to heaven or to hell. And then he said, and then there's, then, but God is a God of grace. He says, and sometimes he might put his foot on the scale over on the good side and just add a little a weight on that if we're good enough and if we're sincere enough. Well, that's flat out heresy because there's no way we can possibly have enough good works to cancel out our bad. Because again, remind you, we are not sinners because we sin. We are, we sin because we are sinners. It's a condition. It's not a behavioral problem. Now, the world and many religions look at sin as a behavioral problem. It's like looking at cancer as a behavioral problem. Well, if you just acted better, maybe you'd not be sick. It's not a behavioral problem. It's a, it's a, it's condition that we have. And so sin has to be dealt with at its core. And it amazes me at people's mentality of trying to earn uh, merit. Now, when Paul met Christ on the Damascus Road, he realized who he was. And when he heard the words, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Then he realized he wasn't only, not only was his religion in vain, he was an enemy of Christ. He was actually an enemy of God. Now, look at what he once hailed here. He, he gives his resume. You could call this his resume. Circumcised the eighth day. When Paul was a baby, <coughs> he was circumcised. This made him an, an accepted member of the Jewish religious community. By the way, this is an act that he was too young to choose. He did not decide it. He made no choices. It was done to him, not by him. Now, we, we cannot, it would be foolish for us to call a person righteous or call a person accepted because of something that he had no choice in at all. This happened to him when he was a baby. Now, you say, well, we're beyond that today, are we? Because we baby baptized today in a lot of churches. And well, it's the same, same thought there. Baptizing babies, it's done to the baby, not by the baby. And so it's not making a choice. It's too young to make the choice. Now, the Bible teaches us very clearly that it is, uh, it is, it is a choice, not chance, that chooses man's destiny. It's what we do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we, we have that parallel today. Some people choose to reject Christ and trust a set of rituals. We call them religious. Some people choose to reject Christ and trust in their own deeds. We call them moral. Some people choose to reject Christ and trust in nothing. We call them atheists. But the truth of the matter is, if you are still deciding on what to trust in, when Christ comes back or when you die, then it's just as bad for you as if you decided to trust in no God at all. And so we got to make that choice. It's not what's done to you, like circumcision or baby baptism. That's the point Paul's trying to make. But he, he did say this because in he's, again, talking to the Judaizers in their own language. So he's, he's using this as one of his own uh, resume builders because that's how they looked at it. He was also not a Jew, only a Jew by religion. He was a Jew by race out of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews. <coughs> so he gave a threefold credential here. He whipped out his cred pack, you could say, and he shows them <coughs> the first the national claim, the stock of Israel, he said. He was born into a nation that was set apart by God. No other nation has ever had the promises that Israel has gotten from God, Romans 9 Four through five, uh, the Jewish nation had many spiritual advantages. Uh, they all, all of history shows the unique relationship that God had with the Jewish nation. So he was in that nation. He made that national claim. Then the tribal claim 
of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin had given Israel its first king. The Saul of the Old Testament, it's interesting, the Saul of the Old Testament had persecuted David. Now the Saul of the New Testament persecutes David's son, Jesus, the Jesus who came through the line of David. Uh, now, but unlike Old Testament Saul, the New Testament Saul ended up crowning this uh, son of David, Jesus Christ, as his Lord uh, and Savior. The tribe of Benjamin, though, had remained true to David during the, the whole uh, division of the Hebrew kingdom. So it was a point of pride to be a Benjamite. It's a lot better than being a Danite or a Reubenite. He would, they were Benjamites. That was a point of pride. And so Paul points that out. Then he looks at the parental claim. And Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. In other words, both of Paul's parents were Hebrews. I always wonder, you think Paul's parents were alive when he was busy propagating the gospel? Were they saved? You know, the Bible didn't really tell us about it, but I always wonder what they thought of Saul. But it seems that they made sure that young Saul was grounded in the Scriptures. Uh, they must have been proud to see how intelligent he was. I believe Paul was a genius. I think we can see incredibly intelligent he was. And then he went to study under uh, the rabbi Gamaliel, and, he, and uh, that, that must have been a point of pride for them. But Paul, point he's trying to make here, he had a heritage to be proud of. As touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is by the law blameless. Paul had been a fundamentalist Jew as touching the law of Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were impressive. Now, we look back at, we hear the word Pharisee. In fact, we will even sometimes call somebody a Pharisee if we think they're, uh, think really highly of themselves or look down their nose at people because the, the very term Pharisee has a negative connotation to us. Not in Jesus' day. The, the Pharisee were the most respected, uh, highest in the society as far as the Jews. They were very impressive. Now, there's over 600 laws in the Old Testament that the Pharisees would keep. But they wouldn't only follow the 613 laws given in the Old Testament. The Jews uh, put thousands of new commandments down to clarify the original 613. This always happens in religion, by the way, always. Because if you glory in rules, why not make more, right? I mean, if, if rules get you to heaven, why not make more rules to make more sure you go to heaven? You know, and, and again, I, I always, when I, when I think Pharisee, I see Amish bishop. I just I equate the two because they, they didn't look that much different, by the way. But, but uh, I, I, I saw that. I was, I was witness to, the, to some of the attacks we got as we were leaving. And, and uh, they, that's how they lived as well. These rules, rules, rules. So <coughs> the, the uh, Mosaic law, for example, is one of, the, one of the commandments was to keep the Sabbath holy. So they, that basically meant don't work on Saturday, all right? Set it aside, God rested, okay? Keep the Sabbath holy. Well, to clarify this, they created 39 categories of what work was and then created many subcategories under those. Uh, so to follow the rule of not working on the Sabbath, now you had thousands of little sub-rules to follow. And you read, there's all kinds of crazy ones. You, you can't look in a mirror on the Sabbath. Or it, during this time, anyway, you couldn't look in a mirror because you might be, uh, you might be uh, tempted to pluck out a gray hair. <laughs> a lot of good that does some of us. We have to shave our head, but uh, you might be tempted to do that. So you can't look in a mirror. You can't eat an egg laid on the Sabbath unless you kill the chicken for being a Sabbath violator. Uh, written law is what I what I read here. And you cannot move furniture on the Sabbath. You can move a ladder four steps. I don't know what you know. Some guy came up with that rule, but you can't move a ladder even more than four steps. You can't. You can spit on a rock. 
on the Sabbath, but you can't spit on dirt because dirt makes mud. Mud is mortar, and mortar is work. And so, uh, you know, we think these are ridiculous, but look at any religion today. They got all kinds of ridiculous rules. They got all kinds of ridiculous uh, uh, traditions that they hold on to. When people work very hard at doing right and being good, the Bible says it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And, of course, uh, good works ought to be an outcome of salvation, but not the cause for salvation. So uh, it's a sad thing, though, that many people still try to establish their own way of getting to heaven instead of submitting to what has already been provided. Now, the Pharisees were the enemies of Christ in the Gospels, and the Sadducees were the enemies of the church in the book of Acts. But at least the, the Pharisees believed the Bible. And uh, as they interpreted or as they misinterpreted sometimes, but they uh, believed it, and their traditions... Uh, were they, they created these traditions, you know, probably trying to uh, make things better. But what happens when you start to put traditions and rules in place, they will slowly uh, and surely overtake the importance of the Word of God. The Word of God always sinks. In fact, I remember when I took my Bible, I was 18 years old, and I took my Bible, visited my grandmother. It was the last time I, I was able to speak to her. And uh, as I asked, if, can I just show you from the Bible uh, what 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 I, what I believe, and I was trying to show her what I, and she almost screamed, put up her hand, don't open that book, you'll, you'll deceive me too. And uh, I said, Grandma, take the Bible and show me where you're right. I, this is, I'm going to follow this. If you show me where you're right from this book, then I'll, I'll join the Amish again, you know. That, but, but imagine having the thought that I can't read the Bible, it might mess up my theology. Well, the Bible does that a lot. The Bible messes up a lot of theology that people have. But the Bible is our final uh, authority for faith and practice. And so we don't, uh, we, we, we don't, uh, by the way, Jesus said this in Mark uh, 7, 13. You make the, he's talking to the Pharisees. You make the word of God to none effect through your traditions. Now, when we allow, and this is what religion always does, religion will soon overshadow the word of God. And uh, you see it in every major religion. That they often even start with good intentions, but they uh, are, are become warped because soon the rules overtake the word of God. Raised as a Pharisee, Paul was trained to observe all these traditions. He had not only been a fundamentalist Jew, he had been a fanatical Jew. He said, concerning zeal, I was persecuting the church. Uh, in Acts 26.11, the Bible called him exceedingly mad against the Christians. In Acts 8.3, he made havoc of the church. He was on a mission to completely root them out, but then he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. He was gloriously saved. He had been a fastidious uh, Jew, touching the righteousness which is, against, uh, which is in the law blameless. Now, he's not saying he was sinless, but he was blameless. He had made a sincere effort to keep God's law doing his best, even though it was never good enough. Now, that was Paul's past glory. If anyone could glory in religion, it would be Paul. That's what he's trying to tell them. Look, I, I was better than any of it. And by the way, he had the authority to say that. He was, he was a, 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 a high-ranking person as far as the Jews were concerned. I found it interesting that, that Paul, when he was unsaved, thought, him the, thought he was just the cat's meow. But when he was, after he got saved, he saw himself as the chief of sinners. You know, we really recognize who we are when we get a view, good view of who God is 
and then who we are in his. So that was all past Paul's past glory. And just in closing real quickly, look at Paul's present gains. He wrote off all of his human religion. <clears throat> he said, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. There came a time that Paul realized you're not saved because of your pedigree. You're not, you don't go to heaven because of who your parents are. You don't go to heaven because you're going to church or because you do all these things. And so Paul looked at his religious balance sheet, you could say. He looked at his human qualifications. And then, uh, and by the way, the Judaizers were thrilled with all of his qualifications. They'd have loved to be what he once was. But then you see what sits on the other side of what he had to offer was Christ on the scales. When he compared those two, by the way, he knew he could have one or the other. He said, I don't remember where it's found, but he said it's either if it's grace, it's not works. If it's works, it's not grace. It can't be both. It's, it's got to be one or the other. It can't have both. He did not hesitate a moment. He, he picked up what he once treasured, all his pedigree, all that he was, all his accomplishments, and he threw them away like trash. And he put his faith and trust in Christ Jesus. I'm reminded of a story my dad, I think, has told it here, but when he was being witnessed to, and he was wrestling and wrestling because being raised in religion and, and uh, that he was in, he was 34 years old, his, his parents, grandparents, great, 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 all the way back. And my mom, just we just finished a, a book on her side. 300 years we go back, rock-ribbed Amish, no, no other family in our uh, heritage. And so he's wrestling with this. Uh, new truth, and I remember he asked the guy that witnessed him, and praise God, he answered biblically. But uh, because I can imagine the anguish in my dad's soul as he asked this question, he says, "Does that mean everything I've ever done or believed is all for nothing?" Mr. Carl Hasty looked right dead in the eye, looked him back, and said, "All for nothing." And I'm glad for his honesty. That's a hard thing to say to someone. That's a hard thing to say to anybody who's lived their life in religion, but that is, that's what Paul did. It was all for nothing. It was dung. It was trash, he said. He threw it away. So what he considered assets, and don't miss this, what Paul considered his assets were actually liabilities because what, what religious people consider their strengths are exactly what keeps them from coming to Christ. Oh, I'm a good person, and I do this, and I did that. I got baptized as a baby. I got confirmed, or whatever the case might be. Confirmed don't take you to heaven. The word confirmed isn't in the Bible as far as they can look at it. And so, salvation. Now, it's interesting, the word translated gain here. What things were gained to me is kurdas. That word means advantage. It's the same word is used in uh, chapter 1, verse 21, uh, to die as gain, advantage. The word translated loss is zemia in, uh, in uh, this verse. Those I counted loss for Christ. So kurdas, interestingly enough, is plural and zemia is singular. So Paul's one big debit was uh, that he had consumed all his previous credits. He had a lot of credits, but he had one debit. And uh, it's interesting that he realized, came to the point, we, we all got to come to this point and realize that without Christ, we're going to be spiritually bankrupt. It don't matter what kind of pedigree we have. don't matter who we are, what we've accomplished. Without Christ, we're, we're bankrupt. He wrote off all of his human religion. He also wrote off all of his human resources. He gladly counted all things loss in order to know Christ. Now, if, if we were able to ask the Apostle Paul, uh, and I, 
I, I've actually done this to my dad, asked him kind of the same question along this line. You ever feel a loss of what all you've given up? Can you imagine? He'd laugh at us. He'd loss? What? Of, of what? Of trash? Of dung? He, he, he considered it dung. I've seen Christ face to face, he says. Oh, that we might see Christ the way that Paul did and recognize what we have, recognize that, uh, that all that we had to offer was nothing. And, and Paul doesn't mince words. He calls it dung. That's what uh, we in polite society call manure, right? It's uh, worth nothing. And uh, not, nobody puts any value in manure. Maybe a little bit if you garden, but not too much, amen? You don't put a lot of value in that stuff. So the world, uh, if we saw Christ the way Paul did, the world would lose its power to distract us. The world would lose its power to, to uh, attract us to it. We'd be living different lives if we recognized what Paul did here. We could say with Paul, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, advantage. It's advantageous for me to die. And, but as long as I live, I'm going to live for him. Man, that's good stuff. Paul recognized, uh, he, and Paul, you know, this, this has so much weight because Paul doesn't strike me as a braggart, he, he, but, but he's not bragging here. But this carries so much weight because of who he was. I mean, he was somebody. And then to say it all for nothing. Christ is everything. Father, we thank you for loving us.